I hope that you close your eyes and act like Kevin is here. And I'm his doppelganger stunt double. No, don't do that. Um, hey, if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in the very first book of the Bible, at Genesis chapter 1 today. Should make it pretty easy. We're going to start there and uh, jump around to a few places. And uh, just out of curiosity, how, ma- how many of us this morning are, are feeling the effects of uh, uh, Vandy, you know, pooping in their chili and us having to play on the West Coast, right? You know what I'm talking about. You're like, I have no- if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you didn't stay up last night and watch a baseball game. So thank you, Vandy, that we all got to go to bed about 1 o'clock in the morning and try to wake up for Sunday school. And thank you, Kevin Webb. Uh, for choosing a, a Sunday to be gone uh, when you guys are in the summer and we stayed up to 1 o'clock watching the baseball game. So thank you, Kevin. But uh, as Joel said earlier, I am Greg Key on staff here uh, overseeing the media. And so uh, today is Substitute Sunday, right, which means everybody's gone to the Southern Baptist Convention and those of us who aren't cool enough to go out to California get to serve you faithfully today. So... Uh, This morning, uh, I do want to talk to you guys, though, about this concept, uh, the breath of God that brings dead things to life. The breath of God that brings dead things to life. Uh, I believe that we would all agree uh, that proper breathing is so important, right? We'd all agree uh, that trying to breathe properly uh, is, is very important to all of us. I know this will surprise most of you, if not all of you, but back at the turn of the century, um, I actually used to uh, be a three-sport athlete uh, in high school. I would wrestle, swim, and run, and uh, not all at the same time, obviously, but, uh, uh, but one of the things that my coaches in every one of those sports would hammer home is proper breathing. They just, you know, when you're, when you're swimming, you got to get the rhythm of your stroke and get your breathing, the timing of your breathing down. Uh, when you wrestle or any type of, of combat sport, uh, you, you got to have proper breathing because it, it affects how that works. And same thing with running, right? Obviously, you got to breathe to run so you don't pass out. So the thing is, though, proper breathing was so important because uh, what it would do is it would control your heart rate. And your heart rate would control your focus, and your focus would control your performance, right? So we, we can all understand uh, proper breathing, especially living here in the South, right? How many of you guys in the spring and the fall, something just lights you up like a Christmas tree, and it feels like somebody took your pillow and stuffed it up behind your eyeballs? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, and you're like, I understand proper breathing, you know? I'm mouth breathing, and I sound like a sloth that just got rescued uh, from a tar pit. But the thing is, is that proper breathing is so important. And also, too, it's very important for us physically, uh, so basically, if you go without air at about the four-minute mark, permanent brain damage starts to set in, and then death comes about four to five minutes after that. So we can all agree breathing is very important, right? We can understand that. But not just physically, though. Spiritually, breathing is so important because just like physically, spiritually, we need to learn how to breathe properly because it affects the condition of our heart, which affects our focus, which affects how we live our lives. So that's what I want to look at this morning in the context of breathing. And the first thing that we're going to look at uh, in Genesis is in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, we're going to look at the breath of God in Adam. Now, many of you are probably very familiar with creation up to this point, um, but basically uh, the first five days... God is, is created. Now, chapter 1, uh, gen- creation is listed in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Chapter 1 is kind of this, this broad overview. 
Uh, and basically, God starts out pretty broad, uh, pretty generic, if you will, in his creation. For example, like in the beginning, it just creates light. And then he just creates expanse. And then he just creates water. And, and so he's kind of starting out with a lot of these general, uh, generic things. And then he starts to go in more specific. So into the light, he starts to create the sun and the moon and the stars, right? Go ahead and sing it. And Jupiter and Mars, how loving and patient he must be. No, children's church people, thank you. Love you. I'll see you guys next week. It's been a good morning. And uh, no, all right, awesome. Well, there you go. Uh, y'all should have grown up with kids' words. It is a terrible, all right, anyway. I don't know where to go from that. I, I tell you, hey, la- hey, look, either laugh at me or laugh with me. I don't care, just laugh. All right, so, um, so yeah, so then he starts going in. He's creating the sun and the moon and the stars. He starts creating uh, land, and, and, and he starts to divide the oceans, and then he starts going in, and he starts putting birds in the air. He starts putting animals in the sea. So here we find ourselves in verse 24. We find ourselves on day six. This is kind of the final day of God's creation, and what he's going to do is he's going to create uh, more detail to kind of finalize everything with land animals and with humans. So look in chapter 1, verse 24. It says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kids, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. Verse 25, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind and the livestock according to their kind and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Now, you guys may have been familiar with that, and and what's crazy is that so often we get so Shut up, Siri. Uh, we get so bored. Even she's saying, like, what did you say? All right, so the thing is that we get so bored with creation because we're not in it yet, right? We're reading all these things, but if you ever read through there, and then all of a sudden you look at all these animals that are just amazing and, and perplexing, too. I have no idea, you know, like, like the, the duck-billed platypus. I'm like, man, that's what you went with. All right, so that's what you went with. But, but now in verse 25... And, and verse 26, or verse 26, sorry, we get a little bit more interested because now it involves us. And it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God kind of changes the game, right? He, he's got this pattern uh, that he's using in all of creation, and that's creating all of these things. But then he changes the game when he creates humans because it's the only thing in all of creation that's created in his image. You guys may hear that all the time. Pastor Brian talking about image bearers when he's talking about people. It's because of this. God kind of changes everything up, and now all of a sudden when it comes to Adam and Eve and when it comes to humans, he decides to make us in his image. Now flip over to chapter 2. So chapter 1's broad. Chapter 2, it's not a second creation, but it's taking a magnifying glass to creation and getting in more detailed. And here's another way that God changed the game when he created Adam and Eve. Look in chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Notice what happens here, right? Everything else in all of creation, all the way from the start of day one to lunchtime on day six, God's creating everything by speaking it into existence, right? Like, let there be light, and there was light. He says, let there be a light to govern the day and a light to govern the night. Let there be 
water. Let there be birds in the air, right? So he's speaking these things into existence. But then when it comes to Adam, not only does the change the game because he created Adam in his image, he changed the game because now God gets in and works with his hands, right? He, he rolls up his sleeves, and he forms out of the dust of the earth man. And the illustration elsewhere in Scripture is like, like the potter working with a piece of clay. If you've ever heard of, seen a potter like making, making a pot, they, they take this piece of clay, and they mold it, and they shape it. They know what they want the end result to be, and they're molding, and they're shaping it. And so here we see that in verse 7, that God creates difference. But notice two things that he does. Number one, he makes Adam. Out of the dust of the earth, with his hands, um, he makes him into his own image. But notice the second thing in here. Adam is formed, yes, but Adam doesn't become a living being until God breathes his breath of life into him. Look in chapter 2, verse 7. He says, then God formed the man of the dust of the earth, and and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That's awesome, guys. That is fantastically awesome, because even though Adam was created, he still wasn't alive until the breath of God came into his body. That's what's awesome about the breath of God, is that it made Adam into a living being. Now, guys, we can understand that today, because we meet so many people who They have been created by God in his image, but they've yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and they've yet to be made alive in Christ. Yes, they are created physically, but the breath of God has not come into them and awakened them and caused them to be a living being, just like with Adam. So there it is, the breath of God in Adam. Well, the second thing, go over to Ezekiel. Still in the Old Testament, go to the right for a while, okay? You're going to go after Psalms, Proverbs, the major prophets, Lamentations, and boom, you're going to land in Ezekiel. And and in Ezekiel chapter 37, we're going to see the breath of God in dry bones. One of my favorite encounters that's recorded in all of Scripture, um, I, I love to... Uh, imagine things when I read Scripture. Because, you know, Scripture is not just like storytelling. It's not make-believe. Uh, it's like real people with real events that happened in real time. And, and your mind's eye just wants to take you there. And if, if you're not very familiar with Ezekiel, so, so Ezekiel lived during the days of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you've ever heard of them, also any VeggieTale fans, Rakshak, Benny, right? So, so, so Ezekiel was alive during that time frame. Uh, the Babylonians come in. They, they raid and invade. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, and they take Daniel, Rakshak, and Benny uh, in the first go-around, and then when they came back the second time, they scoop up Ezekiel, okay? So, so Ezekiel is now, when he writes this, he, he's now uh, a prophet being used by the Lord to speak to the people in Babylon while he's there at the same time as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in verse 37, we have this incredible encounter that the Lord brings Ezekiel to this valley. Look, look at verse 1. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. Can you, can you imagine like how weird and creepy that would have been? I mean, if I'm a slave and I'm in captivity, and the Lord decides to take me somewhere, I would want something other than a valley of dead bones. 
I don't know about you, man. Maybe you're just weird and creepy like that, and you're like, sounds wonderful to me. No, it doesn't. It sounds weird, right? And it sounds dooming, and it sounds like really hopeless. But that's where he took him. And, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. I love how he says this. Basically like, okay, guys, look, here's the deal. I'm in the valley. There's these dead bones. By the way, there's a lot of them. And by the way, they're dry. Okay, this isn't like fresh, like on the side of the road, like buzzards are leaving with breakfast kind of carcass, right? These are like super dry, see it on NCIS or something like, ooh, who is that in the bottom of the hot tub? Kind of dry, okay? All right, so, and he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause what? Say it with me, boys and girls. Breath, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. It's an open book test. I mean, come on. It, it's, it, just peek on the guy next to you or the girl next to you if you don't have your Bible. It's fine. All right, so breath, and you shall live, and I will, I will lay sinews like tendons upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover with skin, and I will put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. What a, what a fantastic, just incredible situation in the midst of this weird thing. You're taken out of this valley. He says, you see these bones that are, that are numerous, they're dry, and God says, prophesy over them and tell them to come to life, and I will put tendons on them and flesh on them and skin on them. And he says, and I will put breath in them that they will become alive. They will become a, a living being. Now, notice what he says here. Two things. Number one, the bones won't come alive until the breath of God enters them, right? He's going to recreate them, but the, 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 the key piece that's going to make them come alive is the, is the breath of God. Now, why? Why is he doing this? For what purpose will they come alive? Look at the end of verse 6. I will put breath in you, and you shall live, so that you will know that I am the Lord. Why does God put breath in anything and in anyone so that we will know that he is the Lord. This is awesome. All right, so let's, let's see it come to fruition. Verse 7. So I, talking about Ezekiel, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, and bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin covered them. Watch this. But there was no breath in them. Right? Just like he said, they start to get formed, they start to take shape, they start to have a being, but what are they still missing? Breath. Yes, thank you very much. All right, so, but there was no breath in them. So he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain. Why? That they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. I have to confess, I have no idea what this would be like in person, but to just stand back and marvel, watching all of this take place. I mean, it would be so surreal if, if you were to take yourself and put yourself in this valley and speak over what God laid on your heart, and all of a sudden, bones begin to come together 
and life to where this, it says a great army. That doesn't mean a couple. That means as far as his eye could see in the valley, these animals begin to be alive all around him. That is incredible. That is absolutely incredible. But notice what he says here in verse 11, the symbolism of why God did this for him and how this transfers. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, O bones, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Remember, they're in slavery to the Babylonians. A lot of the Israelites, they said the young, you know, the smart, uh, the handsome, basically everybody besides me would have gotten taken up in all of these raids. And then the, the ones that are left, the ones like me, they're being dispersed all over. You know, that's where Samaritans come from that we see in the New Testament. And so basically he says, I hear my people, they say, look, our bones are dried up, beating like, like we're dead inside spiritually. We're dead inside emotionally. We, we are just totally dead inside because we've been ravaged and we've been raided. We're like these bones in the ground, and our hope is lost, right? So not only were they conquered the first time, at this point, they had been conquered a second time. So, so any idea of putting, back, putting the band back together to be the nation of Israel is now pretty much shot in the dark be, because they, they've been raided and ransacked and the Babylonians have proven that clearly they are the greater nation, okay? And, and he said, uh, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, now it's to the people, thus says the Lord God, I will open your graves and I will raise you from the graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And when I open your graves and I raise from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall, what's it say? Live. You're already existing, but as soon as I breathe my spirit into you and I raise you from the grave, you will live again, spiritually. And I will place you on your own land, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. I love the symbolism here. Notice what he says here. He will raise them up from the grave. He will bring revival amongst his people in this dry and barren land. But for what purpose? For what purpose will he raise them up? For what purpose will he bring revival into the people of Israel and awaken their hearts with his spirit, with the breath of God, is for this, that they would know that he is the Lord. Isn't that cool? That's so awesome. And you shall know, verse 13, that I am the Lord. Now, we can understand that. Can't we today? We can understand that. There, there may be people in this room who, who I just described you to a T. You once were alive in Christ, but, but maybe through lacking to abide in Jesus. Maybe through sin that you wrestle with in your life. Maybe, maybe through emotional turmoil that you experienced. You've become a dry and barren land like this valley spiritually. Well, I want you to know just like God wanted the people of Israel to know that he has a desire to revive your soul. He has a desire to take you back to what you used to be. A living, breathing being in him. And he wants to use his spirit as the breath of God to awaken you and revive you and rejuvenate you so that you will know again that he is the Lord. See, there's people just like Adam, created, but they don't have the breath of God yet to make them a living being. And there's people just like these dry bones who once were alive that have now become barren 
that God wants to awaken and revive and renew. So we see the Spirit of God in Adam to make him a living being. We see the Spirit of God in these dry bones to make him a living being. But, but what does that mean for us today? Like, what about us? We're, we're not in the Garden of Eden at creation like Adam, right? We're not in Babylon in slavery to the Babylonians like Ezekiel and the nation of Israel. Well, what about us? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, all the way in the New Testament. Keep going to the right. I'll give you a hint. It's right after 1 Timothy <laughs> and Titus, in between Titus and 1 Timothy. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let's look at the breath of God in Scripture. The breath of God in Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 might be a passage that you've put to memory at some point in time, and definitely have probably heard a sermon on it. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. <clears throat> what does it tell us about Scripture? What does it tell us about God's Word? That, that it, is, it is breathed by God. The same breath, right, that brought Adam life, the same breath that brought the dry bones to life is the same breath that is breathed into Scripture to create living beings. That's pretty awesome. If you've never put that together, that is fantastically awesome. That's what separates the Bible from every other written document that you'll ever encounter. They aren't alive with the breath of God. They might be inspired by the Holy Spirit. They might be written by men who are godly and who are holy, but they haven't been breathed by the breath of God to become a living active source and substance in our lives. The, elsewhere in the Bible, it says that, that uh, it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword is God's Word. That same Spirit that breathed into these things breathes into us to make us living beings. How so? Well, look at the first thing it says. It says to, to teach us. God's Word is living and active, breathing the breath of God into us so that you and I may grow. If, if heaven is the only reason why we would come to faith in Jesus Christ, then why not go ahead and take us to heaven once we put our faith in Jesus Christ? I don't know if you ever thought about that, but, but, but having a relationship with Jesus isn't just to secure your ticket of admissions into heaven. It is to start a journey, as Romans chapter 8 says, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We call that sanctification, right? And so the Bible is a great tool and a great source for us, us reading it, us memorizing it, us hearing it taught to us, us discussing it with other people, for us to grow. It's incredible for growth. The second thing it says is to reproof us. Just thought that sounds fun, right? To reproof us, to, to rebuke us. It's living and active so that you and I can understand what sin is. You and I can understand all the things that we did in our life prior to Christ that God says, I need those things to change in order to be conformed to the image of God. How do you know what's wrong unless somebody tells you what's wrong? Right, let's say you're driving down the road and, and you haven't seen a speed limit sign for miles and a cop pulls you over. He's like, hey, do you know why I pulled you over? You're like, I have no idea. He said, I pulled you over for speeding. Like, how do I know I was speeding? The, 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 the speed limit was never posted. Well, you should have just known. No, right? The Bible helps us understand what that is all the way to the day that we're carried 
to heaven. You'll read something in Scripture and be like, oh, snap, I guess I hadn't thought about that before. Well, now I know. All right, right? So to teach us, to reprove us, to, to correct us, right? To continue showing us what is right or wrong. How about to train us? To train us in righteousness. Um, it, let's, let's say, for example, Chef Curry comes and, and calls me up today and goes, hey, Greg, when I get done putting away the Celtics and winning my next NBA championship title, I'd love to challenge you to a three-point contest. I'd be like, bro, bring it. I'm like, you know, Steph Curry's never faced an athlete like me before, right? He's only faced high-level, like, super athletic guys, right? Some of y'all get that later. So anyway, uh, and so he calls me. He says, Greg, I want to challenge you to a three-point contest. I'm like, bro, you don't want to smoke, right? But anyway, and I'm like, okay, that'll be fine. So, so I show up, you know, in July, and, and we do a three-point contest. And I really try. I mean, I really try with all my heart the best that I can. Do you know what's going to happen? He could build a second house with all the bricks I'm going to be throwing out that day, okay? Because I, I have hand-eye coordination issues, and apparently that's important in basketball. Who do? Anyway, so, so, yeah, depth perception, all that. So I can't play with the flip. But he says, Greg, I want to challenge you a three-point contest. I'm like, deal. And I go and I find Ray Allen, the greatest three-point shooter in all of NBA history. And I'm like, Ray Allen, I need you to work with me every day. I need you to help me. And he's like, deal. So he gives me a training regimen to practice and to do certain things and to help my shot. Now I show up in July, and what happens? Well, I still get smoked, like embarrassingly smoked. But maybe there's like two less bricks than what there would have been, right? The point of the matter is, is that in the Christian life, too many of us are trying to live for Jesus instead of training to live for Jesus, right? We think, hey, I love Jesus. I'll just call you if I need you. Well, bro, you need him every day, okay? And that's what the Bible is good for. That's why Paul said to train yourselves in righteousness. Not just try in righteousness, but train yourselves. God's word is there for that. Everything we need to know, everything we need to do, everything we need to be. Why? Look at what it says in verse 17. So that you and I may be complete. Without the integration of God's words into our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, we will be incomplete. Incomplete. If you're that guy or you're that girl that takes your Bible on Sundays when you're on your way to Sunday lunch and you put it in the back seat of your car and the next time it gets opened is when you walk in this door for Sunday school or for church, you are probably living a very incomplete life because you're not letting the breathe word of God to invest itself in your life to help you. And you go, bro, I struggle with this. Well, it's because your Bible is closed, sitting in your back seat. Man, I really struggle with this. I want to change here, but I'm having a hard time. It's because your Bible is collecting dust. Use it. Why? Because it's given to us to help us be complete in Christ. Your greatest resource is at your fingertips like never before. If you can walk around with hundreds of hours of pornography on your phone, you can also walk around with hundreds of passages of Scripture on that same device. It's your decision. If you can walk around with hundreds of text messages, slandering people, talking bad about people, putting people down, you can also walk around with hundreds of biblical passages on your phone that you can refresh and renew your mind with every day. We have more of God's Word at our fingertips than ever before in all of history. So why would we use it less? Why would we use it less? 
Can I be so bold as to say that we cannot be fully alive in Christ if our Bibles remain closed? Can I be so bold as to say that people don't make the Bible come alive for us? I can't stand that when people go, oh, I love to hear that guy preach. He makes the Bible come alive. No! The Bible makes him come alive. It's the breath of God breathing into us dead, barren, dry beings, making us alive in Christ. Why? So that we will know that he is God. That's why we have God's word. It's the greatest resource aside from the Holy Spirit who makes it alive in us to be the living beings that God called us to be, created us to be, and that Jesus saved us to be. It's in God's word. How amazing is the breath of God that can bring dead things to life from Adam in creation to the dry bones in Ezekiel to God's word today. Hopefully all of you have come to a greater understanding of the breath of God that breathes in the dead things to make us come to life. And for you and for me today, its number one source is the word of God. So, table leaders, it's time for y'all to have some fun. <laughs> here's, you can do whatever question you want around your table group time this morning. I just kind of gave you a handful here that could maybe spark some things, right? Uh, that, that you could think about, like, what is something about all of this reality that, that stands out to you? Uh, what does it mean that all Scripture is God-breathed, the passages that are weird and funky, <laughs> and the ones that we don't understand are just as inspired as the ones that your grandmother has cross-stitched on a pillow laying on her couch? What are ways that God's Word makes us come alive? Why do we tend to struggle to consistently stay in God's Word? And what is something I can or should do after hearing this? Let me close in a quick word of prayer, and then you guys can can flesh some of this out uh, around your table groups this morning. Lord God, we do thank you so much for your word. Lord, without it, we would be so lost. Thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that reveals the, the truth and the understanding of your word to us. Thank you for your love for us, that you have a desire for us to be living beings, not just physically, but spiritually as well. You, you care for us to know you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and you lived out this scripture that we might see what that looks like in our daily lives. And thank you that you died on the cross for our sins and you rose to walk in newness of life and ascended to heaven and is now our high priest that we might be able to read your word and understand and pray to you. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that we would continue to find great value and continue to invest great time so that we might become great followers of Jesus and continue to be conformed to his image and his likeness. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for all that you do for us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.